Well, before I get into this week's question show, last question show I said I would be on my way to see the eclipse and I would tell you what happened and I did it. We went down to Carbondale, Illinois, which was the point of the longest eclipse and joined tens of thousands of other people to watch the total solar eclipse. We had clear skies for most of the day and then just before totality this gigantic cloud moved in and we thought we were not going to be able to get a chance to see it couldn't see the sun and then sort of totality happened and we could see this really cool sort of sunset in all around on you know the horizon which was amazing and then like in the last 30 seconds or so of totality we heard part of the crowd cheer and then another part of the crowd cheer and then we got the sky to open up for us just for a second and we got to see like the last part of totality I could see the corona and then the diamond ring appeared and then that was it so it was like this tantalizing taste of of the eclipse and now I really want to see more so 2024 can't come soon enough unless I can figure out a way to go and see any of the others around the world between now and then all right let's get on with the questions your questions my answers as always I've uh, gathered up a whole pile of your questions ready to go let's get into it Alexandra Bisson do you think there's a system or tool that's better than math to explain the universe that we might discover later and if so are there any contestant? Not really. I mean, there have been other methods proposed to understand the universe around us, ways of knowing. And there's, there's like, uh, you know, spirituality and philosophy and religion uh, and, and various kinds of philosophy have been, have been proposed over time. But the trick with science, it has a whole bunch of things and mathematics as well, which are sort of self-doubting, repeatable, independently verifiable, that any, you know, if you're correct, then what you discover should be discoverable by, by anyone else. And mathematics is one of the parts of science, is one of the ways to help you predict things. If there were better tools at this point, you would expect scientists to use them, that they would want to. And uh, no, I can't think of anything that does as good a job. I mean, just look at this right here, right? Amazing cameras, phones, airplanes, uh, spacecraft, televisions, all of this because the sort of secrets of the universe, the laws of nature were figured out one piece at a time, often with the help of mathematics to to understand how these things work. And I can't imagine anything coming along that is as good as science and mathematics. Ravenclaw Tom. Our messages we send out with directions to our system is probably the worst mistake humanity will ever make. I know that's sort of the thinking, right? Is that we sent out the Voyager spacecraft with the golden record and it's got this map to come back to Earth. And it says Earth is right here and we're delicious and you should just come and just eat us up. But, or at least invade us and take our water, or whatever it is the aliens are gonna to wanna to do. But the reality is, and you can see this, that we are, in, we are just about to get to a point where we can observe all of the star systems nearby us, and all of the planets that are nearby us, and identify which of those planets have life on them. In fact, you know, we've said this in previous videos, that Earth itself, has been broadcasting the existence of life for 500 million years. When oxygen first formed in large quantities, 
in our atmosphere, we showed to the universe that there was life here. And any powerful aliens with a telescope would know where to come. So it, so it doesn't matter if we send one tiny little map on a golden record. It doesn't matter if we broadcast signals out into space, you know, daring the aliens to come and, and fight us. It doesn't matter. If they're out there, they know we're here, just in the same way that we're about to know that they're there. Mort Mort Pixel Art Channel. How do you feel about me falling asleep to your videos almost every night? I'm totally cool with it. I do the same to a bunch of other people's videos. Actually, it's pretty funny. We used to get that, uh, this is an email for, um, for Astronomy Cast, because if you listen to Astronomy Cast, which you should, Dr. Pamela's, Dr. Pamela Gay's voice is great, and you could absolutely fall asleep listening to her voice. And so people would tell us this, and we're like, it's fine. Like, if, if that's all we do is help you get to sleep, that's, that's doing good in this world. Rob Nijkamp. Hello, can you please explain what is the difference between a quasar and a gamma ray burst? No problem. A quasar is a supermassive black hole that's actively feeding on material. So a black hole with millions of times the mass of the sun and it is actively feeding and so the material is falling into it and piling up and you're getting these jets that are coming out and that's what we see halfway across the universe. And a gamma ray burst is the death of a massive star. And in many cases, the massive star dies in such a way that it creates these jets as it dies that are blasted out halfway across the universe. And so in both cases, right, with a quasar, we are looking in, when we're looking right down the jet of the quasar, we are seeing this super bright object. And with a, with a, uh, with a gamma ray burst, we're looking right down the jet of, of the explosion. The difference is that a gamma ray burst only lasts for a few seconds, a couple of minutes at the most, while a quasar can last for years, hundreds of years, thousands of years. So that's, but both kind of give off as much energy as the rest of the galaxy combined. So actually there's a lot of stuff that's pretty similar to them. And then of course when a, the star that creates a gamma ray burst dies, it becomes a black hole, but a regular mass black hole, not a supermassive black hole. Hope that helps. Brain stem soup. All right, here's my serious question. Could we see the light reflected off a planet as it orbits a star? Absolutely. And in fact, we did this episode just, you know, just the last couple of episodes about the super telescopes in the works and the coronagraphs that are going to be blocking the light from the star. And the goal is that these will be able to show the, will they be able to see the planets directly, see the light being reflected off the star to the planet. But Astronomers are going to be able to do even better than that. I saw some great research work that's being done to be able to see Earth shine, or in this case, exoplanet shine, on the exomoons of those planets. So you're going to see these distant planets, and they're going to have moons, and then the moons, you're going to be able to see how the light is shining from the planet on those moons. And the key is, is that you can then detect the, the amount of water and continents on these planets. So, so for example, if you look at the moon and sort of observe it over time, you can see when there's more continents or more water facing at the moon. And so astronomers think they'll be able to do the same thing, but with exoplanets and their moons. So just you wait. The technology and the capabilities and the observations that we're going to be able to do are, are mind-bending. Robert T. What keeps the satellite solar arrays from moving out of alignment? 
reaction wheels. This is, this is my big bugbear with space exploration, is that on all of these spacecraft, they have these things called reaction wheels or, or gyroscopes. And so what happens is usually a, a, you know, a telescope will have three of them, one in each of the axes of, of rotation. And then what it does is it spins up one of these wheels and that causes a sort of inertia in one direction. And the whole spacecraft will turn in the opposite direction to compensate for the turning of this wheel. And so you'll get the whole spacecraft being able to orient itself in any direction. At the same time, the, the, the solar arrays themselves will often be sort of tiltable as well. And so the whole spacecraft can tilt so that the solar arrays are pointed towards the sun, or the spacecraft can orient itself but also tilt its solar arrays. And of course, the problem is that many missions fail when these reaction wheels fail. So spacecraft are often launched with, say, spares, like maybe six of these reaction wheels or five of these reaction wheels, enough for two to break and for the spacecraft to still work. And so, for example, Kepler, we wasn't able to complete all of its mission because it just ran out of reaction wheels and wasn't able to orient itself to be able to see the, the areas where it was supposed to anymore. And so, reaction wheels, we need more reaction wheels. Bram 03. Let's say that we can make Starshot work. How would the spacecraft communicate back to Earth? That is a great question. The, so the breakthrough Starshot is this idea of sending these tiny little, you know, sub one gram spacecraft to other stars, hit them with a really powerful laser, accelerate them to 10% the speed of light. But how do you communicate with them, right? You've got this tiny little spacecraft. How can it generate the energy to send a communication signal back to Earth? And the thinking is, is that you would actually set up a daisy chain of communication. So you wouldn't be sending one of these spacecraft, you would be sending thousands, tens of thousands, over a long period of time. So you would say every couple of minutes, send another one and another one, another one, zap, 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 zap. And so then they could communicate down the chain and relay information in this continuous path all the way back to Earth. And so that's how they would probably be able to, to communicate. Huffy zero zero. Is there a limit to how far we can see with the telescope? The limit of how far we can see with the telescope is to the edge of the observable universe. In other words, the universe that we can observe. And that is this region that is 13.8 billion light years away from us. Now, those of you kind of know what's going on, they're not that these regions are not actually 13.8 billion light years away. They're more like 40. 46 billion light years away, but they were 13.8 billion light years away when the light was emitted to us. I know it's very complicated, but the point is, is that we can only see literally to the Big Bang in all directions, but not quite. What we can actually see is about 380,000 years after the Big Bang, because before that, all the, the atoms in the universe were so hot that the entire universe was opaque. It was, you know, you couldn't see through it. And it's only when the universe had cooled down to the point that, that it became transparent was when light could be emitted and you could actually see into it. So, so we can see with our telescopes right out to the edge of the observable universe. We can see places where the light left there 13.8 billion light years, but we can't, we can't actually see right to the Big Bang. Now, the most powerful telescopes that we have today, like the Hubble Space Telescope, can't actually see to the edge of the observable universe. They can only see billions of light years away. 
they have to use special techniques like gravitational lensing to use gra uh, galaxy clusters as another lens to be able to see to just a few hundred million years after the Big Bang. But the next range of telescopes, the ones that I mentioned a couple of shows ago, are going to be able to directly image right out to the edge of the observable universe and show us what the universe was doing right at the very beginning. Rockomax. Hello, Fraser. Question. If you could choose which astronomical event you would be able to witness in your lifetime, what would it be? The universe owes me, and, and you, but me, a naked eye comet. So I don't know if you remember, there was Hale-Bopp and Hayakutake, and they were like 20 plus years ago, and they were amazing. You would go out to relatively dark skies, look to the, what was it, to the west? and you could see these just amazing bright comets. And we got one with Hale-Bopp, and then we got another one, and it was, it was just like another great thing that we see. You know, there's eclipses, there's auroras, and there's bright comets, and really crazy meteor showers, but bright comets. So that's what I want next, and we're overdue. So I think hopefully we'll get a nice bright comet visible in the sky sometime soon. It's been a long time. Axonism, why are you bald? What's the story behind that? <laughs> really? Yeah. It's called male pattern baldness. In my mid to late 20s, I started losing my hair. And then you kind of have two choices, right? You either go with the comb over or you just go with the Jean-Luc Picard. So, so I, you just, you just got to get over it. You don't have hair anymore and you just shave your head and you just you don't worry about it anymore. Don't even think about it. Charles Morris Supreme. Would alien creatures look like dinosaurs? And could there be giant insects on an alien world? Obviously, if it's an alien world and, and the creatures there evolved completely separately under their own, you know, version of evolution, then they could look very different from the life that we have here on Earth. So we don't really know. Like, would it look like dinosaurs? We don't know. Would it look like giant insects? We don't know. But what we do know is that evolution tends to solve the same problem. In, in different ways. So for example, you've got various creatures that can fly. You've got insects, you've got birds, you've got bats, and each one evolved the ability to fly in a different way. So you can imagine if you have this other world and it's got air, and creatures have to move through the air, they will evolve some kind of wing system. Same thing, uh, the eye has evolved several times here on Earth, completely separately, different versions of the eye. So again, if there are photons and an environment that these creatures have to navigate around, you can expect them to, to evolve eyes. So again, same thing. So I don't think, they wouldn't look like dinosaurs and they wouldn't look like insects, but I think that they would look recognizable as creatures exactly what form they'd take. I mean, you look at the various life forms that happen here on Earth, and we're all related. So it's kind of mind-bending to think what could be possible. All right, well, that's it. Another question show. Thanks, everyone, for sending in your questions. Uh, as always, wherever you are on my channel, go ahead, type in a question. I'll gather them up and answer them here. We'll see you next week.